This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. We serve a great God. And you, you know what's so amazing about God is that His economy is pretty full. But despite all of that, you're consequential in His economy. As full as it is, He's still interested in you and He knows every detail about your life. And he wants to be a part of your life in a way that we never really can comprehend. We don't really understand the full extent of what he's really looking for. And the more we get connected with him, the more we begin to understand him and walk into those things. We've been speaking a little bit <clears throat> over the last while about the fact that God wants to connect with us and wants to be a part of who we are. When we say that God loves me, God wants to know me, who are you? Do you know who you are? <laughs> Stay with us, Rafa. Stay with us. We're going to lead you somewhere. But is it consequential in life? Do you think that you were just born the way that you were? Or maybe do you have some influence in defining who you are and ultimately what you look like? The question becomes, if that's consequential and that becomes an opportunity for us, are we really assuming that responsibility? How many people go through life just being themselves, living in the context of their life and the environment in which they find themselves? How many are, are, are focused on the idea that, hold on, I have the possibility and the opportunity to give redefinition to who I am. And if I change who I am, is it important? Why is it important? Maybe it isn't. And yet in God's economy, who you are is consequential and significant. What I want to speak about today, and I'm going to kind of, I'll have to lead, I'm going to lead into it as a continuation from last week, and I'll get into it a little bit more next week, um, is that who you are is so fundamental to how you live. Who you are is so consequential to your relationship with God. I believe that we do have the ability to be able to give definition to who we are. And the source that we tap into provides the substance that we begin to form our identity from. The reason that your substance becomes important is because the substance that defines my life is the substance that determines the fruit of my life. So whatever is inside of me Whatever's giving definition to me ultimately is producing fruit in my life in one form or another. Part of the reason that Jesus wants to come into our life and the reason that he wants to have an influence in who we are is because the more we begin to recognize who he is, the more he reveals himself to us. And the more he reveals himself to us, the more we're able to participate in who he is experience him and as a result transform my life God has a plan for doing this and his plan in his simple terms is I'm going to introduce you to I am, who I am as Savior and Lord Savior is going to do something because it's going to impart my nature to you Savior is going to do something because it's going to wash everything away and everything that constituted who you were up until that point becomes past tense. And the invitation is into newness. The invitation is to participate in who he is. Savior introduces his nature and his life to me. We can be born again as a result of introducing him as Savior. The thing about it is, once he's Savior... He's not satisfied just living in that place. Now he wants to be Lord of your life. So what he's doing is he's introducing us to the reality that I want the substance of who I am to begin to define who you are so that it's not just a legal identity in terms of I'm born again and I have the life of God on me, but it becomes something experiential. He wants for me to take of who he is, so the substance of who he is begins to de give definition to the way that I live and move and have my being. If we look at the context of who I am and what I'm all about, 
And that substance begins to have the possibility of influencing who I am. What is that substance? From a natural point of view, we sustain our body because of what we eat. They always talk to you about eating a healthy diet. Make sure you get good vitamins and minerals. Make sure you have a, a lot of fruit and vegetables and get everything you need because it sustains the body. It's substance for body. But when it becomes about who we are, it's not about body, it's about spirit. So something is coming into that space to give definition to who I am. And the way that it's going to present itself to us is in the form of ideas. Ideas are powerful. Ideas are incredibly powerful because they carry within them a nature. Ideas are like a seed. And so we can get seeds from multiple sources. And I'll speak about that in a bit of detail. But what's in, what I want you to get is the way that ideas work. Ideas is the deposit of a seed into your mind. And when it deposits a seed into your mind, it comes with a concept. It comes with an idea. But it doesn't just only come with an idea. It comes with a nature. Every seed comes with a nature. And the purpose of the seed is to make sure that the concept that is part of that seed is realized in your life. And so when I have an idea that is planted in my mind, what it does is it takes the concept of that idea, and you don't think in words, you think in pictures. It takes the concept, and what it does is it throws the image of that concept onto your imagination. And you begin to see it. But we don't just look at an image objectively and look at what that image is about. We always look at images in our self-conscious from a self-perspective. I am interpreting that image from self. I am beholding the image. What you behold, you become like. What is it saying? The idea and the concept that came with that seed shows, flows the image onto our imagination. And as we look at that in the context of who I am and where I find myself in life and where I put myself in the relationship context in which I find myself and when I put myself in the challenges of where I am, I'm giving an interpretation to the image from self. I'm looking at it. I'm gazing at it. I'm considering it. And what we behold we become like. What it means is this. The more you begin to look at that image, what it does is it takes the nature of that image and begins to impart it to you in your reasoning and in your feelings. And so what ends up happening is I take that and I begin to form on the inside of me an understanding And that understanding introduces to me the nature of what is part of that idea. It's either going to be something that's good or negative. It's going to either introduce to me life or it's going to introduce to me death. The thing about it is, in the context of who I am, I begin to suddenly realize that I do have influence over the ideas that I spend time considering. I do have influence over what I allow into that space called my heart, the most sacred place. And the invitation that God extends to me is this. I set before you life and death, blessings, cursings. Choose. What he's saying is, you have the prerogative, and I've empowered you with the ability to have influence over what begins to give definition to who you are. The invitation that Christ always extends to us is newness. The invitation is a new nature. That's why God's not interested in your past, and that's why he's not interested in fixing your past. Because the thing about it is, I can't fix some stuff. I can't fix fear. I can't make you less fearful. What I can introduce to you is a new nature which comes with faith and confidence. That's the whole reason that Jesus introduces to us the opportunity to die. Death is putting to death something like that so that I can gain something of him. Only Jesus comes with life and the fullness of life. And the reason that he wants us to step into our future is it's not just walking forward with him, but the understanding is I want to influence who you are so that as you step forward, who you are becomes defined by my substance, who I am. 
And as you begin walking forward, he wants us to be overtly aware of the fact that as you're journeying forward, you're going to have stuff that pops up in your luggage. And you're going to be, you know what? That's from the old me. That's not who I am now. And in that space, it's an invitation to action. Put it to death. As long as you want to live with where you were and how you felt and where things have been, as long as we want to live from the old man, the problem with it is he will honor that because you have the prerogative to define who you are. But it's not his design. He wants you to walk into a future that he has for you, which is completely founded and grounded and birthed out of who he is. He is the author and the finisher. The I am that I am. He is the master creator. That's who God is. He's the master creator. And you were made in his image. It's consequential because of what it means is this. I'm looking for you to understand and grab an appreciation that the substance that defines who you are is going to determine your mindset. I'm not about changing a thought. It may start with a thought, but I'm about changing your mindset. I want for you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to view people. I want you to view situations. I want you to view the reality in which you find yourself, not from the natural, but from my perspective. Because the thing about it is, when you move to that place and you live from that place, there is a recognition and an appreciation of the fact that I'm not called to conform to life, to move through life, just allowing it to give definition to my environment and who I am. But I am called to be a creator. I am called to be a transformer in that space. Not because I'm capable of doing it, not because I'm a wonder work, not because I have great intelligence, not because I have a sensational sense of humor, but because I have substance. He's put something on the inside of me and he's looking for me to live from who he is and move into a place where I begin to give redefinition to my environment. It's not about me, it's about him. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. It's a discussion about substance. What he's saying is, as a living being, you're going to find yourself in environments. You live in an environment. It's a domain that I've created for you. But it's a domain that I've given you as the canvas of your existence so that you can know me, have the substance of me, live like me, and move from a place of conforming to everything that's happening around you to a place where you can have influence in that space. What sets me apart in the world in which I live is substance, his substance. What gives me light and what makes me salt is not me, not my great looks, not my personality, not my excellent wardrobe, not anything else, not even because I'm generous, not because I am benevolent, but because of him. I've got to have his substance. His substance is what's looking for opportunity to have influence in the spaces in which I find myself. And if I don't have his substance, I don't have it. It introduces to us a concept that's been so misrepresented that the minute you speak about it, a lot of people shudder. It's the whole concept of holiness. We don't like it because holiness has been so misrepresented that it's been used as a tool for judgment. If you were holy, you would behave like this. That if you're ever having a discussion about behavior, it's too late. It's too late. God is, your, your behavior is an indicator of what's alive inside of you. You don't change your behavior. You change your substance. Anytime behavior is incongruent with his substance, don't go talking about behavior. There's substance there. What substance is in there? Because it's not of him, but it's giving fruit in my life. What is I talking about? Holiness. Holiness. It's too late to talk about. Holiness isn't about your behavior. Holiness is about substance. Holiness is about you. 
Holiness is God's invitation to sit and say, you know what? Anytime you live a life that's separate from me, anytime you want to lean to your own understanding, anytime you want to go places that is independent of my influence, you're going to live from a place that is deficient. It's not going to be whole and complete. And so the invitation for holiness is to allow his substance to fill that space, to allow his substance to permeate those areas of my life that are deficient, that are hobbling along, that are living in reverse. And to sit and say, you know what? I can't do this. What I've allowed into that space to give definition to it is not producing life. It's producing death. And what I need for you to do is, I need for you to come into that space, Holy Spirit. Let's kill what's there so I can introduce newness. Because when he comes into those areas, what he does is holiness is about wholeness and completion. So he takes who I am and he fills me up and he makes me whole and he makes me complete. When I live from deficiency, deficiency results in fruit. What happens is this, because I'm deficient in those areas, I try to hide aspects to who I am. I try to supplement it and complement it by acting in certain ways and overperforming. I do all kinds of things because I don't want people to know that I'm deficient in that space. But it introduces behaviors like insecurity, anxiety, worry, fear, anger. It makes me judgmental because if I can pull down everybody else, I can feel so much better about myself. What's happening? My deficiency has influenced who I am and it's creating fruit in my life. And when I live from that fruit, what ends up happening is it kills, steals and destroys from me. If the fruit of your life isn't bringing life and fullness and hope and joy and faith, the influence of God in that place, and joy. If it's, not being, if it's not recognized as a fruit of who he is, it's an indication and an invitation to recognize that I just got a little bit of something that stepped into my baggage from my old life. Come on now, good. Take care of it, let him come in, fix that up, and we move on. Holiness is a wonderful opportunity for us to change and be transformed, to be whole and complete, and to know who he is. So I had a very fortunate opportunity last year to have some time away with Vivian. And so I said to Viv, what, what do you want to do? And, and she said, you know what? I would love to go to Paris. So I said, okay. So we made a plan to have father-daughter time in Paris. So off we went to go and have fun. And we did a whole bunch of stuff while we were there. And one of the things that we did while we were there was a Macron baking course. Vivian was like, I want to learn how to bake. Okay, so fine, we'll do a course. And she loved it. But the thing about baking Macrons is, first of all, baking is not cooking. You got to know that. Cooking is like, yeah, give it a try. You like it, throw it in, see what it tastes like. Bleh. Baking is exact. There are temperatures, there are amounts, there are certain ingredients, there is a process. There's, you got to know baking, because if you don't know baking, it's not like cooking. You're going to be disappointed. So she decided that she was going, she wanted to do a Macron baking course. The thing about a Macron baking course is, if you think baking is bad, Macron baking is like the pinnacle of exactness. It is so precise and it is so exact that you cannot deviate. Your margin of error is so tight that you go in any way, a little too much, and it's off. It won't work out. And so when we went there, the, the, the lady who was the chef, she's, she reinforced it and reinforced it because you have to be exact. And so one of the things we had to do is you have to make a syrup to make the shell. And so you put the syrup on and you start stirring the syrup. And the thing is when the syrup reaches 110 degrees Celsius, you got a little thermometer there. You got to watch it. Not 109, not 111, 110 degrees. When it hits 110, you've got 32 grams exactly of egg whites next to you. And you turn it on and it starts beating your egg whites and you watch it and you leave it. And you let it keep going until it hits 118 degrees on the nose. 
118 degrees, you turn off the oven, you take the syrup off, and you stop the beating, and you start mixing it. It's exact. It's exact. It's a bit of a job. <laughs> but you know what? When you follow the plan, it works out really well. This is a picture of her. If you follow the plan, it works out. This is the point of the story. There is a master plan to who you are. There is a big idea to what you're all about. It is not some random pattern which is defined by personal indulgence. Any time I begin to decide that I'm going to run off and do my own thing, I end up in trouble. It's what happened to Adam because he ended up separating himself from God because he didn't understand the plan. He didn't stick to the plan. He didn't understand that there was a master plan for who you are. This is not about your purpose. This is about your identity. What he's saying is, I need for you to understand who you are. Because when you understand that there is a big idea that is at play, when I recognize the fact that there is a, a recipe for me to follow for who I am, there, it introduces me to the fact that I now recognize and I identify the fact that God wants to do something in my life. I know what he's wanting to do. And so the thing is, it puts me in a place where I'm empowered because I'm always looking for what is the master plan? What's the big idea in the space? Where am I here, Father? Because the invitation is always to move to my own understanding, to move to a place where I want to define how I feel and how what I think and allow that to give influence, allow that to put substance in my life. And what he's saying to you is that's not where the ingredients for your life are coming from. Your ingredients for your life are coming from me. And when you put yourself in that place and you allow the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ and invest them in you, what he's doing is he's putting God's substance inside of you. There's a master plan. It doesn't just happen. I choose. I've set before you options. What do you choose? What do you choose? We live in a society and an environment that doesn't like the idea of a master plan. Because the idea of a master plan puts a suggestion in place that there is a thing called right and wrong. Black and white. There is. It's just not defined by people. It's defined by God. And so he gives you the choice. If you don't want to do that, that's okay. Leave it to your own devices. It's not because that's what he wants for you, but it's like raining. If you step under the umbrella and you stay there, you're pretty good. But if you make a decision that I'm going to go off on my own and I step out from under the umbrella and I step into the rain and I get soaking wet, it's not because God did it. It's because I went off because of my own choices. When you understand the master plan and we live in a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to have influence in who I am and I intentionally put myself in a place that I allow him to do that, it brings about change and transformation in me. Don't lean to your own feelings. Don't lean to what your flesh tells you because it's going to take you outside of his design. And the ultimate result of that is fruit that's not going to come of him. Jeremiah 29, 11. This was our Bible study. Remember, we're carrying on. That's not what I want to read. I, I want to read it out of the um, New American Standard. Let me read it for you. For I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you. You can substitute thoughts in there. Either one is fine. It says the same thing. I know the plans or the thoughts that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Okay, now let's dissect that a little bit. I know the plans that I have for you. You know what God's saying is, there is a big idea. It does exist, and I own it. Simple. That's the paraphrased version. Anytime you conform to the image of Christ, anytime you allow him to come into that space, what you're doing is you're participating in the plan. Anytime I decide to move out of that space because of my own choices and I decide to let something else define me, I'm moving away from the master plan. 
the invitation he always extends to us is participate in the master plan. It's an invitation to relationship because he owns it, he has it, and he offers it to us. These are the big idea that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not disaster. Things happen in our lives determined by the substance that we allow to define us. When we're part of the plan, we allow the substance of who Christ is to come in. We allow him to give definition to who I am, which changes the way that I think, the way that I feel, the way that I choose, the way that I behave, the way that I view my life. My perspective begins to shift because he owns my mind set, my mind, my identity comprehensively. Anytime I allow something outside of the master plan to come into that space, there's an infiltration. And so what he's saying is it leads to disaster. That's what God says. All he's saying is, I'm so excited. Don't worry about the disaster aspect. If you focused on the prosperity aspect and being part of the plan, the other bit's inconsequential. You're okay. You, it's when we're negligent about it and we, we don't allow, we, we're not intentional about pursuing the things of God. To give you a future, he wants the substance of who he is to define where you're going, what it looks like, and a hope. Now, when we talk about a hope, there's an interesting thing about hope because it just, we, we have a, a very um, superficial view of what hope is. And sometimes our perspective on hope is not quite right. And so I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about this because there's actually more depth here than just a simple word. Really what God is saying for you is, I want for you to be pregnant with a baby. Let me tell you, let me tell you a little bit about how hope comes about, which might, it'll clarify. So we want to be part of the master plan. We want the Holy Spirit to do some stuff in our lives so that he makes impartations to us that are of the Spirit, and so when we put ourselves in that place, what ends up happening is the most important thing is that we have a relationship with God. Not that you're born again. That's an invitation to relationship. But it's important for me to be intentional about spending the time to be able to get to know him and to be able to converse with him, to interact with him, to relate with him. Because the thing is, I have to be able to hear what he says to me. It's called Rhema. I have to be able to hear it. And the reason that it becomes important is because when he speaks to us, Rhema, what he's doing is he is revealing himself to us. Anytime we get revelation knowledge, we've just got a seed. We've just got a seed. Anytime he reveals an aspect of who he is, I've just got something of him. And the moment you get a seed, seed always results in conception. It's called faith. When you get revelation, it'll always translate into conception, which is faith. Faith is not of me. Faith is of God. Faith is God speaking something specifically to you. Abram, I'm going to make you a father. The reason he could hold on to that is because there was a revelation from God that was imparted to him. There was a seed that was given to Abraham that he conceived on the inside of him in the form of faith, which was God has made me a promise. God has told me something. God has imparted something to me which I can hold on to. That faith is the conception. But conception always translates into life. Life is when it takes the promise that God has given you and what it does is it projects it onto your imagination and it presents itself in the form of hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It doesn't work in reverse. I don't get to hope for what I want and then ask God to bless it. That's presumption. It works the other way around. 
Where what happens is I get into relationship with God and I bring him a situation and I bring him something that's in my life. I speak to him about a challenge that I've got. I speak to him about just who he is. And what he does is he takes a part of who he is and he seeds my life by revealing it to me. It's an aha moment. It's something that it's just like, it just resonates deep within me and I just know that it's true. What's happened is that seed is conceived in faith. It's the life of God on the inside of me. And the life of God on the inside of me, like any seed, carries within it the nature of that seed. And the seed, if I will hold on to it, will take itself and it'll throw the image up on the imagination of my life. Look at it with the eye of your heart. Keep your eye of your heart fixed on that. Why? Because what you behold, you become like. And the more I behold the reality of what he's given me, it becomes alive on the inside of me. It's something that I can spend time looking at. It's something that I can spend time meditating on. It's something that I can hold on to. It's something that I can go to at any moment, at any point. It's like a pregnant woman that sits and says, I haven't seen the baby yet. But you know what? I can feel it. It's right here. It's alive on the inside of me. It's the evidence of things not seen. What he's saying is, before the promise is manifest, hold on to the baby. Hold on to the baby. Your hope is the baby that's alive on the inside of you. Hold on to it. Nurture it. Put it into the hothouse of your heart. Don't let go of it. Because what will end up happening is the nature of what's alive on the inside of you begins to inform your being and you get filled with the confidence that comes with it. You get filled with the hope that comes of it. You get filled with everything that God gives you in a very practical way. This is how God is beginning to influence who I am because he wants to influence what I walk into, redefining my future. Your imagination is so important. Your imagination is the nursery of your heart. It's where the baby's going to grow. Don't take your eye off the baby. Keep your eye focused on what's of him. Do you know what he's looking for? He says, I will impart something of myself to you called faith. I'll give you a promise. I'll give you a truth. I'll give you a revelation. And what he's wanting for you to do is he's wanting for you to marry your trust to his impartation. It's called belief. Belief is something which is very sacred in each of our lives. It's the thing that I hold on to. And any time I give my trust to something, I've just crowned it as a belief. What we behold, we become like. What we behold is what owns the throne of my life. What we behold is what we worship. What we behold is what develops and owns the trust of my life, my beliefs. Sin separates us from what God has for us. Sin separates us from the plan. Obedience leaves us at a place where we submit to the influence of the Holy Spirit because we're looking for his influence. If you look at James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says this, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. What it's saying is, it's saying the same thing. that It's using the same process that God wants to use. But what's important about this, it's speaking about the source of your life. The source of your life becomes consequential. Anytime the source of your life is God, what ends up happening is I desire the things of God. I allow the Holy Spirit to take the things of who Christ is and re reveal it to me, have influence in that place. It takes root in that place. It grows in that place and gives birth to life. Anytime I lean to my own desires, you know what it's saying? Anytime I go to the flesh, anytime I go to the natural, 
and I allow that to have influence in that space, what ends up happening is exactly the same process. But what I'm really doing is I'm allowing the substance of something which is not of God to come in, the nature which is not of God to come into that place. And it always leads to steal, kill, and destroy death. So it's wonderful because it's empowering. It puts us in a place where we begin to recognize, what am I letting into the most secret place of my life? What is defining me? What is defining where I'm going? What is defining my future? Who I am becomes so consequential. The grand plan is really important. Because the thing is, when we submit to the grand plan, things happen in our life. Good things happen. So in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, I'll read it, 28. But basically, what happens is God says, you know what, I have a master plan for you. I have something that I want to do. And the thing is, when you take that substance of who I am and you allow it to begin to redefine who you are, certain things are going to happen in your life. So this is what he said in the Old Testament. Now it shall come to pass if you, it's a little bit long, but uh, just close your eyes and listen to this. Because what he's talking about is, he's talking about if you submit to the master plan, this is the result in your life. Okay, just close your eyes and listen. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey, obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouse and in all which you set your hand to. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. Just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord and walk in his ways. Then all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land um, of which the Lord swore to you by the fathers and he gave to you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the works of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you need the commandments of the Lord, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I commanded you, to the right or to the left, or to any other gods and to serve them. What he was saying to the people of Israel is, I have a master plan. And if you participate in the master plan, this is what's going to happen to you. But they had a challenge. Because you see, the problem with the Old Testament was this. God didn't have direct access to the heart. So God gave them something called the law. So what the law did was the law said, okay, I'm going to set the standard. I'm going to introduce to you what the plan is. The challenge with it is God gives us an idea as to what the plan is. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says, be perfect, just as your father in heaven is perfect. There's the criteria. So now if you've all taken the deep gulp, you can imagine what Israel felt. The point that he was making was this. I want you to understand my intention for having relationship with you. I need for you to understand that if you recognize the master plan, the big plan, and you allow it to have influence in your life, it translates into blessing in so many forms. The reason that he gave them the law in the Old Testament was because no matter how hard they tried to stick to the law, the challenge with it was it was impossible. And even if they did stick to it, the challenge with it was, although the appearance was really good, the heart was faulty. 
Do you remember the young, the young ruler that came to Jesus? And he said he, he was speaking to Jesus about, you know, getting born again, entering the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and Jesus has a discussion with him. And he says, well, you know what you need to do? You need to keep the law. And you know what he said? I kept the law since I was a young man. And Jesus didn't, agree, didn't disagree with him. He had kept the law. Because he had kept the law, it's translated into blessing in his life. He was blessed. The problem with it was, it was although he could do that, and although it looks that way in terms of a person's performance, Jesus was much more interested in the heart condition. He was going back to where is your belief? Where is your trust invested? What he was saying to him was this, I'm offering you an invitation to newness. Old things passed away. I don't want you to trust in yourself anymore. The invitation is, will you take that trust and will you invest it in me? It wasn't a discussion about things. Things were immaterial. It was a discussion about where is your belief invested? I can give you faith, but faith is not going to do you any good if you won't believe it. Unless you allow my faith to inform your belief, it's, it's pointless because how can two walk together unless they agree? The point that he was making was this. The reason that he gave the Old Testament, and he was the exception. Most people couldn't follow the law. But the reason that he gave people the law was he wanted them to recognize the fact that it was a heart condition. And even if I really kept the law, the fact of the matter is I might look good in your eyes, but you don't know what's happening in my heart. And there are things in my heart, bitterness, pride, there are things happening in here that are much more consequential because it defines my being, not my behaviors. And so the wonderful thing is, although God gave them commandments on a template of stone, what he says is, I'm going to do something new when I send Jesus. I'm going to do something incredible. You see, Joshua 1.8 says, this is the book of the law and you shall not depart from it and keep it in your mouth and you shall meditate in it day and night and then you can observe to do all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That is what he offered people in the Old Testament because they didn't have Christ. The advantage that Christ offers us is a new covenant. The advantage that Christ offers us is a savior. The advantage that Christ offers us is the opportunity to step into lordship and allow him to come in and give redefinition to my heart. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I'm not going to give it to you as a written tablet. I'm going to give you a tablet, a heart of flesh. Because on the heart of flesh, you can relate to me. And what I can do is I can take who I am and I can put it. And now listen to what he says. This is interesting. He says, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. That's interesting. You know what he's talking about? Lord and Savior. What he's saying is, I will put it into your heart. I will make you a brand new person. I will put my nature on the inside of who you are. And as a result of that, what ends up happening is before this, you never had access to my nature. All you could do is live from a nature that was not mine. The thing about it is now that my nature has been born, birthed on the inside of you, you have options available that were not available before. When it comes to making decisions about what defines you and how to handle life, you can now choose. Do you want to go to Christ and his substance, or do you want to continue to lend to your own desires? You know what he did? Uh, well, let me do this another way. So in the garden, he said to Adam, you can eat any tree you like. You can have anything you like in the garden. Enjoy the garden. It's full of good stuff for you. Don't touch that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, up until that point, Adam's nature had been defined by God. They had no concept. They only had a concept of evil. It was always potential. It was never experiential. They'd never, part they'd never partaken of evil. It was a concept that existed and was potential, but it was nothing that they'd ever experienced in their nature. 
And it was nothing that had ever defined their mind. But when they partook of the tree of good and evil, all of a sudden in that space what ended up happening is they became aware of the fact that there is some option available. And hold on a second, this option is not like this one. This feels completely different. This feels alone. This makes me feel insecure. This puts me at a place where I want to hide from God. I feel wrong and uncomfortable in this space. And all of a sudden they had a point of comparison that they never had before. And what happened? God drove them out of the garden. You know what happened? They lost access to the tree of life. All they could live from was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what the wonderful thing is about Jesus? When you get born again as Savior, he comes back into that space. And when Christ and the Spirit of Christ comes to live on the inside of you, you know what he says? I've just put the tree of life back into your garden. I've put the tree of life back into your garden. Now you get to choose. I can write it on your mind if you let me. But you get to choose. You do not have to. There are plenty of Christians who still live a very carnal life. They never eat from the tree of life in their decisions. They continue the way that they always have. So what ends up happening is, it's when I participate and I partake of the tree of life that the substance of who he is comes into who I am and gives a redefinition. It's the source. What is the source of your life? Is it the tree of life? Or do I still continue to lean to my own understanding, to go to my own desires, all go the way that I feel, go to the way that I think, acting independently of God? Do I keep moving myself out of the umbrella or do I keep looking with intentionality to sit and say, what is the plan? Let me participate. Let me partake of the fruit of life because I want that to define me. Our Christianity is the most wonderful experience. And it should be something that is experiential for us. Jesus came in as Savior to put his life inside of who you are. The invitation is to partake of it because it begins to give redefinition to who I am. Something that is legal becomes experiential. Something that is an invitation becomes something that begins to redefine and change who I am and how I live. I'm going to carry on next week about uh, with the rest of this. I haven't got time to do it right now. Um, what I want to leave you with is this today. A few things. Number one, be intentional about recognizing who you are is very much a function of what substance you allow to define it. Don't go through life just living without being intentional about sitting saying, what is defining me in this moment? Number two, recognize God has a master plan. It's a good thing to know because the thing is he has certain things in place that you can participate in. He has a way for us to, to, to be redefined in terms of what he wants to be. It's called the image of Christ. Anytime I run off in my own devices, what ends up happening is I move outside of the master plan. I move outside of the big idea, and I want to go off independently and do my stuff. And God will honor that, but what ends up happening is the fruit of that is never going to bear his nature or his life. Be intentional about recognizing the things of God and allowing him to have influence in that space. The most important thing I can ever encourage any Christian to do is to develop an intimate, meaningful, relationship with God. And what I mean by that is the ability to be able to relate to one another. God is alive. He's not about a bunch of theories. He's not a theology in a book. All of those things are decided to invite us to come in and experience him. The thing is, the reason that place is so important is because everything stems from that space.
If I can't hear his voice, it means I never have access to rhema. If I can't have access to rhema, I can never participate in faith. If I can't participate in faith, I'm never going to conceive and I'll never have the baby. So all that ends up happening is I look at God on the outside and I see all of these things and all of this potential, all of this opportunity, but it doesn't become experiential for me. It becomes frustrating. Nobody can do that for you. That all comes down to self-determination and making a personal decision to sit and say, you know what, that is valuable enough to me. It's consequential enough to who I am that I'm going to invest in it. And that's an individual choice. But I can promise you, you will never be disappointed. Let's close our eyes. Just bow your heads. Father, I want to thank you for the price that Christ paid. Thank you that he created opportunities for us to step into a relationship with you where we can get to know you and encounter you, understand you, experience you, allow you to flood my life with who you are and what you're all about. Redefinition. I can leave the past behind and I can step into a new future. I thank you that I'm in the process of redefinition. I thank you that I live out of the excitement and the thrill of knowing you every day. Holy Spirit, I know that your desire is to meet with us wherever we are. And there's nothing that you want more than for us to be intimate with you. Father, for people who are struggling to hear you, to relate to you, connect with you. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you're our guide. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that in those places of intentionality, when they set aside the time to be with you, I ask you, Holy Spirit, meet with them, touch them, let them know when they leave that space that they've met with God. I thank you for the week ahead. I want to thank you for the opportunities that it presents. I pray blessing on every person. I pray health on every person. I pray protection over every person. I thank you for the opportunities that you give us to allow light and salt, the substance of what's inside of us, to come out and give redefinition to influence our world and the people out there who so desperately need a relationship with you. I bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.